It's K Shed. Uncuffed. About to start this off. And guess what, everybody? <laughs> As we move forward, K Shed Uncuffed, episode number 15, is going down in the great city of Lost. Lost Vegas? Sorry, guys. I didn't mean to say that. I really didn't. I meant to say it the correct way, which is Las Vegas uh, to some people. I say Vegas here and there just to kind of cut time. Uh, everybody knows what's what's happening out there in the desert. Man, Las Vegas. So that's where I'm at right now. Uh, flew in yesterday, um, and then I'm staying tonight, and I'll be flying back uh, tomorrow morning, which would be Wednesday head back out to the bay. Um, the reason why I'm down here actually is kind of a cool deal. Um, so we are we all know we got a film project called Iowa's Finest and um, you know that's set to start shooting in June. Um, if everything goes right, um, there's still some considerations and we have a, a hard deadline of if everything's not in place by May 20th, we're gonna have to push it back. That's just the way the movie business works, but we know if we do have to push it back, we know 100% that everything will be in place at that later time. But um, I'm a pressure guy. I believe in a last minute type uh, Hail Mary passes and stuff. Um, and uh, we'll see what happens. But that's one project we have going on. I've always felt like it was necessary to focus on one project only. Um, but then um, all of a sudden I got this, this crazy uh, pitch from a couple people to uh, help set up this MMA fight. You know, there's a number one fighter in Vietnam who we have an opportunity to, to bring out from Vietnam out here to the States and get him established out here and build himself a name and a following. I mean, it sounds like he uh, has a big following anyway, but um, uh, overseas, but we want to make that happen out here in the States. So so that's what I'm doing and guess what I have a lot of connections out here in Vegas where I've been able to tap into and they've been helping me find the perfect location and casino to uh, to have this fight and so that's my job um, and um, at the same time I said you know what I'm a movie maker let's document this whole thing you know and guess what we're gonna call it something funny like not funny, but just kind of cool. We're going to call it the next Dana White. How about that, y'all? So uh, that's what I'm doing. Um, it's going to be a really, really good uh, script idea filled with uh, entertaining, uh, uh, you know, uh, characters and stuff. Uh, but at the same time, we're, we're going to be uh, promoting something that's very, very critical. Uh, the, the, the bringing together of two different countries, uh, Vietnam and the United States for fantastic calls and uh, so far it's been very very fun and, and engaging. I've been meeting a bunch of several, several nice and very down-to-earth and just just uh, well-rounded people out here in Vegas and I'll explain to uh, explain to you guys who those guys are as we go. I don't want to spill too much of the beans and stuff like that but uh, during my years of making films we've done six short films before uh, today and um, not one of them has made a god dang penny so <laughs> I always get a, a bad time I can't even count the number of uh, people who are all like you know, I don't know this is just a hobby or you know what uh, you're just wasting your time you've had way too many years and you haven't made any money from it um, and that gets hard to hear after a while you know um, and so 
Uh, I came up with the idea of the, the next Dana White project to highlight uh, the MMA fight we plan on setting up. And I can tell you something, this is the, actually the first opportunity that I can see very clearly of a film of ours uh, making money. And that's quite exciting. Uh, we have a great team around us. And um, yeah, we're just gonna keep pushing forward. There's many different things that we have to set up, but if all goes well, we'll shoot our film, I Was Finest, in June, and then we'll bounce right back and we'll uh, make this fight happen in Vegas in July, maybe late July, um, you know, early August. And uh, if I pull this one off, man, you know, you know, there's, there's, this, uh, there's this video that I saw from, uh, that highlighted Chadwick, um, I always say his name the wrong uh, last name, but uh, he he played uh, you know Black Black Panther, um, and as they were about ready to do Black Panther two, a news reporter or um, you know a, a columnist or whatever asked him a question. Is like, hey, are you you getting ready to uh, do um, Black Panther two? And he's and he said. No, I'm dead. And she's like, oh, no, wait, you're way too young to be dead. And he's like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. I'm dead. That's, and she's like, that can't be true. He's like, well, it's true. And it was taken, obviously, while he was still around. And he, he looked good. Nothing looked off or anything like that. And he responded so quickly. Almost, it was almost as if he was joking and making a, you know, just keeping things light and stuff. But... You know, it was a short period after that that he ended up passing away. So, uh, you know, I mean, it's just life is so precious and stuff like that. So people always ask me, how come I'm always doing stuff and everything is because, you know, I'm, you only get one shot at this. So I'm going to try to do as much as I can before my time comes. And, you know, if I if I left this world today, I can honestly say that uh, I, um, I I lived, <laughs> I had fun. I've done some crazy stuff and uh experienced many many different things that 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 a lot of people out there uh won't have the ability or opportunity to to experience and um you know obviously if i left this world today uh i won't be able to you know do the do some of the things that are got our dad's rights you know like to be able to walk your daughter down the aisle of her wedding you know watch your grandkids as they kind of grow up and all that stuff and you know, the, you know, I've been married for 20 years. Uh, it's, it's obviously everybody's goal to get to that uh, that uh, year 50. You know, and um, you know, it, all those different things would change. But you know, but I I would feel good about you know what I've done so far in this so uh, in this world. You know, do I have any regrets and stuff like that? If I let me see, if I go back and I think about a you know a police officer. Uh, you know, in football, obviously there was a regret. I wish there were uh, some passes that I didn't let go through my hands and stuff because those were critical times where, you know, I might have set myself up big. You know, the regrets on the police officer for, as police officers. I really don't have very many regrets. If I were to think about as a police officer, if I have any regrets, you guys would be tripping if I told you, um, which I'm going to. So if I think about any regrets that I have as a police officer, I... <laughs> The only thing I can think of, and it's not funny actually, I'm slapping myself for laughing at that. Um, when I get ner nervous, sometimes I, I'll throw that out there like that. But the only regret, one of the biggest regrets I have as a police officer was uh, one time I got sent to what they call an unintended death call. So anytime someone passes away or is, uh, becomes deceased, 
in uh, you know foul play type situations and stuff obviously you go the, the police are called and they get there and they determine if it's number one uh, like a homicide obviously there's steps that have to go you know fall into place if that's the case um, you call the detectives and they come in and they do their investigations and they go out to try to find a killer um, and then um, if it's a uh, like a accidental drowning or something like that, then you call the coroner uh, and the coroner comes out and they take possession of the body. Um, a lot of times if you if you have um, someone who's not, uh, you know, no suspicious circumstances and someone who's probably like advanced age and stuff uh, and there's no uh, signs of anything uh, suspicious, then that's what they call like a, you know, unattended death. Uh, it's more natural causes. So. Uh, we, as police officers, have the ability to, uh, you know, you place a call to the coroner, give them all that information, and then they, they make the decision, okay, we're not going to come out and um, take possession of the body because it's of natural causes. So then the next thing that the police officer does is uh, helps the family make contact. Um, actually, they, they, they do the phone calls for them to like a mortuary or a funeral home. And then the funeral home uh, people come and they take possession of the body. And then um, it's just a beautiful way to, uh, you know, you don't have to do autopsies or anything like that. It's just a very respectful way to uh, go off into uh, the next phase of life. So. Um, that's that's very it's a beautiful thing but it's a lot of stress too um you know i mean because you're looking at dead bodies you know it's very unnatural stuff and so in this particular case i go there and it's a it, you know the the son called from out of out of state or out of the city or whatever wanting us to check on his father because they haven't heard from him in a long time and so um there's details in the call i guess that would say that 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 the father and family have been kind of estranged for a bit so no one's really been in contact with them and so they they became concerned so when I get there um, answer the, or I ring the doorbell no one answers and stuff so uh, with that you have to tr kind of try to find a way to in um, if, if the family member isn't unseen and so in this particular case I uh, found like an open window or something like that and then I was able to get inside and um, sure enough uh, the father was was lying on the floor in the kitchen uh, 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 deceased. So the thing about this though is that it had been such a long time since he had passed away that his body wasn't in the best condition. So uh, just pictures, you know, someone, you know, lying, not even lying, just sitting down on the, uh, the floor in the kitchen with his head leaned up against the, the, the counters, um, uh, tilted off to the side and everything, uh, full head of hair, just a kind of a younger looking guy. Uh, but um, the thing about it was that his skin was uh, discolored and def deformed, uh, had lipidity, obviously, um, uh, just everything that would symbol, uh, s s signal that he, he was gone, you know, the discoloration that comes with that. So, um, and it was like this weird, like a, like, like a, like a pattern that would resemble like a snake coloring of a, of a green colored snake. Uh, I'm not trying to say he looked like a snake, but I'm just trying to say his skin had that like really off weird design to it that if, you know, it, it's almost like, you know, he put on makeup and that was his, uh, the, the design he wanted on his face for Halloween. And it's hard to describe if you, unless you see it. And so uh, as a police officer, 
and you see that, it, it sh you have this protective mechanism in your brain that, that kind of shuts down so you can um, uh, accept stuff like that and you can go about your duties. It's there to protect you. And um, that's what I needed, obviously, on that particular case. And um, so then the next thing you do is you, you know, you have to contact the next the family member. So um, when the son showed up, I met him outside and he's just like, you know, and he just had this look like of anticipation. He's like, and I said, I'm sorry, sir, he, he's not, he's no longer with us. And he, and he was all upset. And he's like, uh, he didn't cry, he's, he held it together. And I was, I was proud of him for that, but you can kind of tell that, you know, it was, it was, it was a situation where there was some tension, obviously, hasn't heard from his fine family in a while, and, um, and the son was like one of the ones who said, okay, let's, let's try to see what's going on with our dad. We've known him all, all our lives. Um, and so that's how I read that. So uh, once he kind of regained his composure, he's just like, okay, all right, and what happens now? I'm like, well, I'm gonna call the coroner, and then and then um, you know, I'll give them the circumstances, and then uh, they'll make the determination if they're gonna come out or if they're gonna release the body to me. And if that's the case, then we go. We'll we'll I'll help you make funeral arrangements and stuff for the the funeral home. And he was very appreciative of that. Uh, you know, young cat. He was good in his twenties and stuff like that. He held it together as very well, um, considering the circumstances. I will give him that. But then he asked me, "Can I go see him?" And and it goes back to my biggest regret, because at first I'm just like, "No, no, no. You don't want to go in there. It's just, it's not a good scene. There's liquor bottles all over the place, piled up on everything in the kitchen. You don't want to do that. Uh, you wouldn't want to see him like that." So. Um, and he just kind of like, no, I just, I gotta say goodbye. I just, I haven't seen him in so long. It's been so long. I have to, some things I want to say to him. And I just, I'm just, oh man, he just kind of broke my heart. And I just, you know, uh, the compassion in my heart, you know, obviously everybody has a father and, um, you know, and, and their parents and they raised them. And I'm just kind of like, I just felt awful for denying this, this kid a chance to be able to say goodbye to his father. So I made the decision to, uh, you know, let him go back into the house, and um, I stayed outside while he went in there. And when he came out, he had the look of utter, utter shock, and like he had obviously seen something that was so uh, unnerving to him that his face was just frozen, and he was kind of weak in the knees, and just he had to sit down and just kind of put his head down, and he's he's in shock. And I'm just like. And that was tough. That was tough for me. And I, you know, um, his family, his other family members showed up, and I think that they, they kind of like walked off on their own thing to kind of figure out, okay, where do we go from here? While I had to kind of, uh, you know, maintain uh, integrity of the scene, make sure no one else really kind of went in. I, at that point, I wasn't anybody, anybody else other than either a coroner or the funeral home come on in. And so. Um, so once I made those arrangements and then everything kind of wrapped up and all that stuff and um, the funeral home people came and they uh, removed the body, I was, I left the scene. But I, I, I left out of there knowing that I had made probably a bad mistake. It was a, it was a big regret of mine letting that, that youngster go in there and see his father like that. Uh, because it, to, this, to, this, to this day, I can't get the vision out of my head. So imagine him. So, you know, um, you know, if I had that to do over again, I would have done it differently. Um, me being 
you know, since retired now, those are the type of calls I don't miss at all. And um, I wish all the police officers out there still busting their butt, um, keeping the, the city safe and making sure that uh, people are, are okay when their loved ones uh, have passed away or they're no longer with us. Uh, it's a tough, tough time, but uh, fortunately everybody in this world is going to have to go through it. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn this mood right back to something fun and cool. Uh, there's another reason why I'm happy right now, because I'm in Vegas and um, I reached out to a couple of my, um, my former teammates and um, they reached back to me. Obviously that's always cool. Um, we may not be able a chance to, to see run into each other before I have to leave to this trip, but I'll be back here soon. Um, but I was able to get a hold of a guy who is such a fantastic person on all levels, and he's he's going to be able to join us for our episode. So our episode today is going to be dedicated to Mr. Butch, and he is going to be sitting down with us. What how I met Butch is that he's um, he's he's a a quiet soul, uh, very unassuming, but when I met him, he was actually uh, Al Davis, his personal bodyguard and his family, you know. Uh, um, so anytime Mr. Davis was going around anywhere, he was always with them. Uh, he was in charge of so many different things. I'm gonna, when, he, when, um, when, when I bring him in, I'm gonna let him kind of tell us a little bit more. I don't wanna speak for him. All I can say is this, that, that if you go to one of the football games and you're at the, and you walk by and you know, everybody's saying that's Al Davis's box right there oh my god everybody's there's you know posted up around trying to see if they can get a look of the great man and all that stuff and there you see Butch you know uh with his sunglasses on his little mustache and everything and he's not the tallest of guys but he has that look about him where you make one false move you're gonna get manhandled and in the hospital about a minute or so after that but he's one of the nicest guys I've ever met, and um, um, I'm about to bring him on board right now. And uh, like I told you guys, I got some interesting guests who who I want to inc incorporate into our show, Case Yet Uncuffed. And the fact that we have him here is going to be a blessing. So stand by, y'all, and we will be right back to talk about some Raider stuff. All right? Case Yet. K Shed, episode 15. I'm going to wait to name this one because, uh, you know, this is a special, special episode. As promised, I'm sitting down here with someone who has made such a powerful impression on me. Mr. Butch Enriquez, um, like I was saying, I first met him down in Oakland when he was uh, providing security for uh, the Davis family. And um, it just something about him is just kind of like, you look at him, he, he would be everybody's favorite uncle, you know, and, but he doesn't tolerate BS. And um, he's, he takes his job very, very seriously. And so obviously when the team moved from Oakland uh, uh, and are now in Vegas, so this is where Butch lives now. He has a home down in California as, as well, um, keeping, it, keeping it real, that's where he's from family raised a family there and all that stuff so I think that's fantastic that he still keeps his his roots there as well but as I'm looking at this guy this guy looks like the picture-perfect uh, individual who's loving life and um, let me have you introduce yourself sir how you been good 
My name is Butch Enriquez from Ventura County in Southern California. Ventura County? Really? In a hometown of Oxnard, California, originally from San Jose, California. Originally from San Jose. Right. Never knew that. That's where you grew up? No. At the age of six, we moved to, to Ventura County. Oh, okay. All right. So, tell, so tell, Ventura County, uh, is that a kind of a quiet place? No, it's a farm working area that's pretty busy. Oh. Unbelievable now. I just went there a week ago and it's like, wow. It's off the charts, but I still went back to my favorite hamburger stand. <laughs> Mexican bread stand, so it's all good. <laughs> it, did it, it didn't give you heartburn this no, time, or that, no, did it? No, no. It was I'm just as good as it was, yeah. right? <laughs> so so every time you go back, that, that hamburger's place is going to be on the first that, one on I was there. telling the owner, shoot, I remember buying these burgers for 25 cents and now they're 250. Like, what, man? Come on, come seriously? On, yeah. <laughs> They, would they throw a Coke in there, too, for, oh, for back free? Oh, the day, yeah. <laughs> I had a pastor to go to the boys' club, so that's why I got it. <laughs> you know, that's fan, That's fantastic. I mean, so, um, you know, so originally families from where? San Jose. San Jose? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, has that place changed at all? Oh, San Jose's just off the charts. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, both my parents are farm workers. One is from uh, Calexico. My mother's from uh, Big Springs, Texas. And uh, so they migrated down with all the farm workers back, back in Grapes of Wrath and worked. My mother worked till she was 46 in the fields with my sister on her back. Oh, wow. And uh, so we grew up that way. But it, it was all good. I can't remember any bad times. I mean, we were poor and you eat beans and rice and you eat spam. And I thought it was a big thing, man. So I didn't, <laughs> I didn't complain. I didn't cry. At times I would complain. My mother said, well, don't eat. So, <laughs> really? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I grew up with a lot of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. <laughs> so you don't want to be hearing anything from any of these uh, these uh, new millennials about like how no, tough life is or anything no, like no, that, no, huh? No. They don't so get it, right? <laughs> they don't at all. So I was able to thank the Lord to start working at the age of like 12 years old. And I was working at a, uh, where I lived was close to a harbor that I used to go fishing with my buddies down to the harbor. And, one day this guy was brought in a sport fishing boat. We're just looking at them just like kids do. All the fish are brought in the people. And the guy goes, hey, kid, do you want a job? I said, what? He goes, yeah, wash my boat. I'll give you 10 bucks. Oh, oh yeah. So, shoot, I didn't have no money. I'm going to wash it. So oh, wow. I started doing that. About two months later, he goes, I'm going to teach you how to be a bait boy, which means you go out on the ship into the, into the ocean, and uh, I'll pay you 30 bucks a day. So I did that. A bait boy? A bait boy. And so, so wait, they would throw you out into the ocean? No, no, you go with a with boat with, you know, 50 people on it, and then you start throwing bait out oh. while they're circling around to get the fish to come up. So I said, well, you know, I thought, I loved it. I, you know, I got the fish, do all this and get paid. So oh my goodness. during the summer, I did that full time. And then I started, uh, I did that until I was my senior year in high school. Wow. I said, because in my mind, this is what I'm going to do for a living, is do this. I'm not going to work in the fields as a farmer, oh, I'm not going to fish. So then I had some buddies that, said that were playing football. I was going to play no football. I said, come on, go to college with us, JC, just party, and we'll do your homework for you. <laughs> okay, let's go. From that day on, I never fished again Aww. because I went from there. My buddies that took me Aww. dropped out. I'm the one that got all inspired to finish college. <laughs> so that's how it started. <laughs> So you've always sounds like you've always been the smartest one out of the. the do you group. make that your 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 um, your focal point to always kind of think through the situation and make sure that you're standing up when it's all over? That's right. In fact, that was one of my. 
I grew up with three guys that we all went to kindergarten together, and to this day we're, we're still partners. No way. I lost two, I lost one last year. Mm. Didn't even tell us he was sick and he's gone. Oh, no way. I got one I just visited two weeks ago because now he finally told me he's got cancer. I'm fighting cancer. I'm saying, okay, let's go. So I went and checked him out. He's in bad shape. Oh. But I had to thank him because he was like the ASB president. From my sophomore, junior, senior year, he was the ASB president of my school. So wow. I was never in class because, hey, Butch Enriquez, come out. We need you at the school. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was out. My other part of that uh, past two years ago, he was the kind of guy who could just read a chapter and get an A. Oh, you know, that wow. kind of, there's a lot of people like that. So oh, wow. when my homework comes, he goes, give me a book. He would do it and then tell me. That, that guy pushed me to go through high school, because like, I didn't want to go. Wow. So I hated high school. What was the high school you went to? Wani uh, Mihai in okay. Oxnard. Oxnard. But, uh, you know, because when I, I'll just, I, I heard somebody say this, this morning about this, is that uh, when I went to high school, being a Mexican, from farm workers, they would say, when, as you know, when you go your front, your freshman year, the, you see counselors, they tell you, okay, you're going to take this class and this class and all that. And the yeah. lady I went to says, uh, why are you here? I said, why what am I here? She goes, you know, Mexicans usually don't go to school. Why are you here? Why aren't you working in the field? I mean, she talked to me just like that. It didn't hurt me. What she was saying was true. And so I said, well, I, can I leave? She goes, no, you can't do that. But I just want to know, am I wasting oh. my time with you? And so Ooh. I said, whatever, man. You know, so nice. she gave me the classes. And it was a hallway with all the doors open for all the counselors because they were just cranking kids out. And so I started walking away. About three doors down, this Hispanic man comes out the door and grabs me. He goes, son, don't listen to that bullshit. You can make it. You don't need to be a farm worker. So even when this guy told me that, I said, well, it didn't turn me on. Didn't, the light didn't turn on. I said, okay, well, thanks. And wow. I kept going. Yeah. Then my partners, the ASB president told me he was a black dude, the other dude, the white dude that could read was a white dude. So we're like the mod squad, man, as we're walking around. I said, man, don't listen to that shit. Man, you're going to get through this. Sure enough, they pushed me through. So that's how it happened. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> you guys balanced each other out yeah, quite well? Exactly. And we're all fatherless. So we all had no father. So it, we were we relied on each other. So it was all good. Just even, I'll tell my part of this dad with cancer now. I said, uh, mm. remember when we didn't have no dads and we weren't playing Little League? And one of my partners got hurt. Instead of the parents running out to the field stuff, all three of us ran No that way. Kid. That's Are you beautiful. Because okay? we're partners, man. Like, you mean, we used to fight together and shit. Like, no. We get, they, they're sure. The parents would get out of here, don't do it. And we're like, hey, is he okay? So, oh, man, those, are, so those are big memories, man. But we, we don't need a dad. We had each other, so it was all good. Mm. Um, I, you know, we were talking earlier, Butch, about uh, kind of like your thoughts on that. You know, I mean, um, you know, uh, you, you that means a lot to you that, that, that you're there for your family and your, exactly, your kids. Yeah. You know, um, that's why I spoil my granddaughters, man, and a grandson, but just. People are like, you're just weak. No, I'm not. It's just something I didn't have they got. You know, I, I even uh, relate to them. Let me run this story by you is that having an absent dad, I saw him in the community. He was an alcoholic. He was in and out of prison and jail. And uh, when I had orders to go to Vietnam, and uh, I went and found him to some friends say, hey, have you seen my dad? They said, I think he's over at so-and-so's house in the back. So I went and found him. I actually found him in the backyard in the couch just all wiped out. This oh, is like on a Wednesday. Way. I'm getting married Saturday. So I got him. I cleaned him. I said, listen, man, you're going to walk my mother down the aisle. After that, I don't give a crap what happens to you. But you're going to respect her this day. Do you know that after that wedding, he never drank again? No way. And then he went. He always worked, but he spent his money oh. on somewhere else, not on us. 
He went to work, got the check, got my mother out of the projects, got her a house, got her a car she never had. And so, you know, it all happened. So, I mean, I didn't get, it didn't turn me on, oh, I love you, Dad. It wasn't that kind of thing. Until I had a kid, because when I had my first son, mm-hmm. my father's tried to treat him like he should, a grandpa would treat a kid. From that, I got healed by seeing the dude had something in it. You're not healing me, but I can see that you're a good dude, man. So, wow. that story, unbelievable. That is unbelievable. Yeah. I, I did not see any of that coming. Yeah. I thought that, yes. I thought you were going to, honestly, um, I thought you were going to say that, would you believe it, he didn't even show up? Oh, no, because I got him, I took him to a hotel, got him a tux, got him a shower, went and make sure he was there every morning and dinner for and uh, yeah, 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 he was just trying to, you know, save. You saved his life. Yeah, so. Oh my goodness, Turned Butch, good. you you have this a power about yourself, and and, and people <laughs> people who weren't around the Raiders, um, I, I I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not crying that I missed the L.A. days yeah, yeah, as yeah. a Raider, uh, but I was obviously there in Oakland, um, you know, and I could see everything so special out here in Vegas. But right. when I was in Oakland, the family. Uh, uh, the dimensions of the Raiders, and even now, obviously, are so strong that uh, it was almost like you were surrounded by uncles, uh, you know, cousins, and just kind of like people watching over you left and right. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, but you've always had that ability to, to, to make sure that people are, are you know, keeping their heads straight, you know. I mean, you see people come and go. Right. I mean, I mean, and that's what I was going to ask you. I'm like, how did you get um, hooked up with the Raiders in the first place? Well, it's the right place at the right time for one. Uh, yeah. You know, back when I was like only 23, I got hired as a deputy. Because oh. I was work- when I came back from service, uh, I had nephews, young nephews, so I started working at the boys' club. So I, I grew up in the boys' club, mm-hmm. and just started, you know, being a referee, doing, just keeping an eye on the kids and stuff. And then one day, a probation officer came through they're looking for some kids. So I'm talking to him. And he goes, man, what are you doing working here, man? Come work at Juvenile Hall, man. Back then, like $15 an hour was big money. Yeah. I said, uh, I'll think about it, man. So I go, and uh, I started working. I was only there one month when they, when EOP was in play, equal opportunity for, oh. for everybody, for color, us colored people, you know? <laughs> don't, don't, okay. <laughs> so I, uh, they, they say, hey, we want to make you a deputy. I've only been there with the hall one month being a security guy mm-hmm. and uh, because I was bilingual so right so they're trying to get their points by hiring me so it's still it didn't bother me come I grew up that way that, that was you just accepted me. it yeah. right so yeah. uh, okay so I got got there and uh, I was blessed to have the supervisor white dude real good dude man he mm-hmm. tells me about a month after being a deputy because they thought I had other probation officers telling me looking at me real silent you know with Looking at Watch me cross-eyed, you know, and like, you know, telling Haters. me up front, man, like, uh, you ain't going to make it here, man. Like, okay, I'm, th- I'm not, man, but I'm just here for this minute. You want me to go now? So this counselor had, uh, super right has this, uh, he drove me and goes, look, it, th- your days are, are numbered here because they're just trying to get their quota to oh, show the no government way. that, hey, we got four Mexicans working out of 200 agents, 200 deputies. And so it was, was only one black dude. And so I said, what? He goes, but I'm going to push you through, man. I'm going to help you as much as I can. I'm going to take a lot of shit for you. I don't know why, but you, you know, every time I interviewed you, you're right up with me, you're straight up with me, so I don't got a problem with you. That wow. man pushed me through, man. And wow. that, like, even the assistant to the department, uh-huh. I came in to get promoted to a different office. And the chief was right next to his office, and the door was open. So the, the assistant tells me, 
Butch, we appreciate what you've done and stuff, but there's no room for you here. You knew it was coming, huh? I said, yeah, okay, do I go back to the hall working? If you want to do that, go ahead. So I took two steps out the door and the chief of the department came out and goes, he, he looked at the guy and says, how dare you talk to that guy that way? You're not gonna do that again to anybody else. And he tells me, Butch, come to my office. He tells me, anybody talks to you that way? You're d they're done. And so I want you to go over here. And from that point on, so I was a deputy for 12 years. I did that, and then I got. What was this chief's name? <laughs> <laughs> so after Holy 12 smoke. years with the department, I did eight years with juveniles because my heart was with kids. Yeah. And doing the gangs and stuff, but uh, wow. I, when I was first learning it from older men, it seems like the Molo guys hated kids. I'm saying, what the hell are you doing here? You hate kids. Mm -hmm. It's a job. It's a job. But after eight years working with kids, I felt like. I'm starting to get that way, man. So I need to get out for not connect with kids anymore. And at the time, I was working as a youth pastor for six years full time youth too. Pastor, nice. And uh, so the connection with that is that there was four high schools in my district, and the kids that were in my youth group, which were like 60 strong, they all at different schools. So I knew who beat up who and who broke up with who, and what the problems were for this first church church church. But uh, anyway, from that, I got promoted to state deal with adults so I said let me go that way man because it's cut and dry you do what I tell you I go back to prison you know so now is this this Oxnard, Oxnard yeah. oh my goodness because the reason why I wanted to say that to everybody uh, listening to out because Oxnard uh that's synonymous with the Raiders yep. where they were training and camp. that's where training camp it was at the time it's kind of a strange name I'm sorry yeah, Oxnard yeah, yeah. but um and this is it's so mind-blowing to see that you were right there growing up mm -hmm. with the team um and then you know so but you were still doing the, being a deputy yeah, and yeah, then being a probation officer with that and mm -hmm. then uh also was having side jobs with the private investigator back in the day when i was younger so let me get a business going so when i retire yeah it'll be ready so i got that rolling yeah. back then but i was working so I got all the security jobs for all the hotels. You know, I was at staying at the Hilton one time, uh, working there as security, and the manager came to me and says, hey, Butch, I want to hear this Raider guy, blah, 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 because he had gone, John Herrera had gone to, John Herrera. Mm -hmm. had gone to UCSB, which is off the hook, man, just right on the water, it's just an awesome college. So they, they thought about going there. Uh -huh. So he had stopped at Oxnard to look around. There was no fields at that Hilton. There was nowhere where he'd go to the stadium where I got training. I didn't see it. And so mm -hmm. he introduced me, so big deal. Okay, John Herrera, thanks, man. I didn't, you know, I wasn't into football. I was to a young man with a family trying to work, not sports. So. Care less about that, right? So about two weeks later, he comes to me and says, hey, uh, how'd you like to have a security job for this? I think I'm going to put a spot here. I said, oh, sure. Okay, I'll take it. Wow. So at the time, there was an empty field behind the hotel, and he built a stadium, I mean, a training facility. Uh, like in two weeks, man, because at the time, Oxnard was a capital of turf. Capital of turf? Yeah. And so, That's where it first came from? Yeah. And so they just rolled that shit in overnight, man. Just like, <laughs> damn, there's a field there? <laughs> so really? That's how I got that job. And uh, they were there for two years. And then they went to the Radisson where the Cowboys are out even now, you know. Mm. And uh, so when we went over there. It's the first time I was able to, because I didn't go to El Segundo at that time. I just stayed in, to the training camp. So we got to to that new facility then that's for some I met Al Davis because oh he came through us. I knew who he was from the sports. I didn't know him personally. So he would come by, he was very busy, always looking notes and stuff. He wasn't just walking around, you know, waving at people. So he came in, he would say hi to me and and that that's how it all started. That's how it all started. Yeah. 
Wow. Did he put you through some... 1985. 1985? Mm -hmm. 1985. Did he put you through any type of tests, like these these mental things that you don't think he's trying to check you out, but he actually is? No, he didn't put me through that. I think um, my problem, I did that from 1985 till we went to Napa in 1995, and I was still in charge of all security. I, yeah. I had 32 guys, you know, during camp. And uh, wow. to me, you just, you just did it. But I was still with him full time. So when they told me in 1995, but want to start watching Mr. Davis. They didn't tell me that all those other years. They said, we want to watch Mr. Davis. Yeah. And I said, what? Yeah, <laughs> won't you be that? You're going to travel That's with awesome. us and do all that? I'm thinking, oh, okay, cool. So wow. I get to him and he says, look, kid, number one, he, Mr. Davis never had security. Never. Mm -hmm. He says, oh, man, I'll kick your ass my own self. He's not, <laughs> he's not scared of nobody. And uh, He's like, That's not a stunt man in those movies. Uh, That's me. I'll yeah, kick so your ass. He, uh, uh, Van, Ad Van Adder and uh, Farmer, who the investigators with O.J. Simpson case, oh, wow. would see him on game day at the Coliseum. They would secure him. They weren't his bodyguards. They were just there for him during the game. And after the game, then they're back to being PD. And so uh, I met them because when I was working as a parole agent in San Francisco, we did a murder case together. One of my guys had murdered somebody. So the one of what? One of my guys had murdered somebody from LA, but he moved up to the Bay Area. And so they trail, trailed the guy and they said, hey, this is what we got, man. We think the dude did it, here's the evidence. We want, we want to go in the house, because they just couldn't break in, because you gotta have some evidence to break in the house. I said, let's go. So we went to the dude's pad, and uh, they found it, the body up in that but man, up in the hills and stuff, man. So. Wow. From that point on, that's why I got to meet these two guys, because they told me, yeah, we know how, we did it, okay, we're cool. But I, so I never got any training. I never got even these. Any guys. training? You just just yeah. just go. So Mr. Davis says, "Listen, <laughs> they want you around me and stuff, but and I'm not for it. But I can't turn against them. But mm -hmm. so just stay your distance, you know." And, and that's cool. So I I learned how to shadow him from afar. If I saw anything, but I never did because he would look at me and then we just I keep following until he's okay. We're well, good. And then as the years went by, years went by because '95 until he'd gone, I was with him full time. Full time. Yeah, full time. Ten years I lived with him for ten years. Mm -hmm. and, uh, wow. He, he just, you know, one, people ask me the same thing, you know, what, what stories you got? The, the biggest story Too I many, got right? is the, story, the one story I got <laughs> is that we're playing the Eagles. So after the game, we got lost the game, and so we're going to the state, we're going to the airport. As the team's travel is that, you know, all the team goes, okay, it's over Terminal 1, it's over Terminal 2, the gate so-and-so, so most players go get something to eat, get something to drink, then they go to the plane. So Mr. Davis goes, tells the limo guy, hey, drop us off on the other side. Okay, I don't know why. So we, we started walking, that side of the terminal was empty. So we're walking, we're walking, but it's a way to get to Terminal 2 from Terminal 1. So we're walking. Out of nowhere, I see this dude, just bodybuilding dude, start coming at us. Not chasing us, not running at us. He was just taking his time mm -hmm. to, to meet up with us. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I got a little, you know, my step got a little first to get in between them. And before we got there, Mr. Davis turns around and goes, what the hell do you want? And the guy goes, Mr. Davis, I just want to know, my, I need a tryout. I need a tryout. My name is so-and-so. So Mr. Davis goes, what college do you play at? I didn't play college. Well, some of my pro team, I didn't play. You got a tape? No. He goes, when you get all that, come back to me. <laughs> at that point, the guy was happy to get it, and he just walked away. 
And I was like, wow. <laughs> just like that. And the administrator looks at me like, what do you think was going to happen, Butch? I was like, I don't know. I thought I was going to tag up. How are you going to get this dude? I said, I was going for his legs, man. I didn't know what else to do. But, uh, Mr. Davis turned around. I was like, yeah. Just, I don't know. Un, 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 unwavering, huh? Yeah, because he had to sit down and riding while I'm following him. And on some boom, he just, what the hell do you want, man? I'm like, wow. Unbelievable. Yeah. See, that's that's how that's how the legend of Al Davis mm -hmm. just came from many different ways. I I saw Mr. Davis um, as when I was doing an interview with a reporter in, out in Oakland. Um, this guy uh, came in. I can't even remember his name, but uh, here talk, we're talking, and he's asked me about the quick stride offense, and I can talk about it because I'm I, I'm surrounded by James Jet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they made throwing James Trap for, for for some type of go route at that time, and James Trap was was Olympian as well. So I'm surrounded by these guys, you know, um, Rocket Ishmael at Rocket, the time. Yeah. Actually, I took his spot though. So, but I was surrounded by these guys. Right. Um, so, so he's asking me about the quick strike offense, and just as I'm about to answer, Mr. Davis came around the corner and he stopped and he looked at this reporter guy and he and he was about to walk past and then he he backtracked and he stepped back over and he looked directly at the guy. He's like, mm -hmm. Hey, um, how's life? And he's like, Oh, that's good, Mr. Davis, it's really good. And he's like, Are you sure? Because I read this article you wrote about me and my team the Ooh. other day that I thought was very um, unfair, um, just kind of, and, and, and I'm like, and let me tell you something, I control everybody, all you guys who come in here, and I'm mm. going to make sure that, that your director knows that you're not allowed to go in here any, uh, and t talk to my players anymore because of because of the way you came at us. Yep. And he just ripped this guy apart. Mm -hmm. And then he's this. Mr. Davis is like, um, uh, now you have a good day. I'm going to have a good rest of my day. I'm surrounded by good people, but I don't expect to see you here with us anymore. Right. And that con concluded my interview with this guy. <laughs> he, he put together his stuff, yeah. and he broke down crying and scooted out of there like that. Wow. You know, I mean, and, and just life continued on after mm -hmm. that. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's amazing. And, you know, Butch, I, I wanted to spend that moment with you, too, because when we were talking about Al Davis, I think we both kind of got all choked up. So mm -hmm. he is missed, oh, you yeah. know, and, um, you know. Forgot what, you know, people go, really? I was asking, what is he really like? What is he? Is he just a, the way that he, I said, no, man. The guy is a historian. He loves history. Loves music. I mean, I mean, the first music. time he asked me, like, uh, <laughs> You know what the real funk music is, Butch? I thought he was just kidding him, just throwing some crap at me. I says, sure I do. What do you know about Rick James, he tells me. I said, what? What you know about Rick James? <laughs> he said, really? He knows you know, all about Rick oh, James? Yeah, so then he used to tell me, you know, because oh, I was at the house many times when he'd bring Jerry Butler in this house just to hang out and just sing right there in this house and stuff, man. Like, damn. <laughs> so, no, That's he, real funk right there. Yeah, he, he's... <laughs> He's uh, all that, man. But uh, well, you know, I tell people, I, a lot of times, all those years when we used to, at the beginning, uh, go out to eat at away games, mm -hmm. right? And I don't care where it was. One time we were in Tennessee, and we walked into like a Red Lobster kind of thing. Place was packed. They got a table for him. So I go sit him down with his friends. Then I walk out and sit outside until they're ready, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, mm -hmm. so I'm sitting outside. I get, these three older ladies come to me, and they, sit, they tell me, older ladies say, you tell Mr. Davis we love him. 
my, our husbands are Tennessee fans, but we don't care. We love Al Davis. You tell them that. Uh -oh. so, okay, I'll <laughs> So uh, those kind of things happen a lot. <laughs> okay. He was a special person. Oh, yes. Uh, and, 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 and so I think uh, his son is the second coming of him. Yeah, uh, just a different way. form. Yeah, different yeah, form, in, yeah, in his own in his own like way. Yeah, uh, you know, I mean, uh, you had a chance to see all, everything full circle. What are you thinking about uh, this move to Vegas? Well, I think it's good for Mark and Mrs. Davis. You know, keep up forgiving Mrs. Davis, big part of this thing. Oh, you know? yeah, she's the head the and head so, executive. Uh, so. so she's uh, a woman of her own her own ways. It's very smart. Reads papers every day, so she's real sharp. You know, and. Uh, and she's a per the people person, man. She, she loves speaking to people. She has her little group of friends and uh, touches basically with her families back east, you know. So she doesn't forget anything. Man. And she's uh, she's just checking along. She okay's Mark, you know. I got to tell people, you know, Mark talks to her every day, you know. It's, most most sons and daughters don't do don't that. Don't do that. Dad, but he takes it a point. Every day he talks to her. Every day. And uh, when he needs to have her out here, she's out here with him. And, and it's hap she's happy. He's happy. I think. Uh, Again, it's been a mo good move. You'll hear a lot about, well, there's no Raider base out here anymore. Well, because the tickets are too high, you know, other teams come in and take more. more. I, mean, I just talked to a couple from Kansas City, man. I was at the uh, Mandalay mm -hmm. after a game visit some friends, and they're all, you know, it's packed with Kansas City fans. And mm -hmm. uh, all the guys, all the women were in the back saying, the only reason we're here is because we love Vegas. We don't give a crap about Kansas City, but we're here for Vegas. <laughs> so there you course, go, guys. So the guys are saying from other teams, hey, I'm going to Vegas. Yeah, well, the wives and girlfriends are coming too. <laughs> so that's all I have. That's why the state was crowded, you know? Well, yeah. And, and you know, I mean, th yeah. that's that's nothing. I mean, it's it really boils down to, I mean, I'm a former player, and, yeah. I, and I know – 100% I can get away with saying this if the team's gonna be playing like crap you're gonna get like crap out in stands exactly, watching you exactly. so you turn that stuff around and, and then it's gonna the, the stadiums is gonna be all silver and black and so I was, exactly. no one's really worried exactly. about that they no. they and, and they should embrace this opportunity as a wake-up call to say hey look people aren't paying this type of good money to, to, to see you lose these games exactly. that were easily winnable so yeah. Exactly. You know, um, and so I, I thank you for giving me that, sharing that uh, fair take on, on, on your thoughts of Vegas and stuff. Uh, yeah, it's, a good, it's been good for him and the family. Yeah. It's good for the radio organization. Pretty soon, one of the big things this Davis always just tell me we go to stadiums throughout, you know, the league. Mm -hmm. And uh, we go to a stadium and he says, see this place, Bush? Because I had to be right next to him. That's why I can't get no players. Regardless of who I'm the Raiders, if a player comes in, looks at looks at the stadium, looks at the locker room, oh God, this is where I want to be, and I don't got that, and I need that, you know. Yeah. And so, but he he would draw players because he's Al Davis, you know. He would talk to people because the players would know, as you know, mm -hmm. if he talks football to you, he knows everything about football. So mm -hmm. if you don't answer back right, well, your shit's raggedy, <laughs> you know. I don't care what what position you're at, mm -hmm. and he would do it. So. Yeah. Well, you know, and so I, it sounds like you see some some very very big prosperous days coming. Yeah, yeah, they'll turn it around. It's got to. I mean, we're, I, I'm right with everybody else. Oh my God, another coach, another. You know, here we go again. We're rebuilding again. We're doing this again. It's just, it's we've got to hit it, man. And, and the day that we hit it, 
they just keep building like the other teams do. Kansas City didn't get that way. People forget for 10 years they didn't get nothing, right? Oh, yeah, they were horrible. You know, the Niners, man, for freaking over 11 years didn't get nothing. And they're good with, you know, got to be half for them because they're fucking straighten out. Yeah. Know? So that's how it works. That is how it works. So. And um, um, sounds like, like, the, like the boat is getting straightened out. Uh, so, and people, people, players who, who kind of go in there and they take stuff for granted. Uh, I know um, Waller, um, you know, I brought, his, I brought him up before. I, I, was, I, I can say it, I was very disappointed with how he performed this past year. Yeah. You know, I saw him make some catches that just made no sense for him to get. And then that's what made the game uh, manageable and brought him back into it. So I'm expecting, you know, you get, you get uh, gifted a, a nice size contract i'm expecting you to do the same thing you did and then uh the third or second or third game of the year the team needed him to come up with a pass and he puts one hand up there and it should have been an easy just two-hand catch made little effort to catch that ball with one hand and then when the ball was batted kind of up in the air he made zero effort to go dive or jump up to get it then and the ball hit the ground and they end up losing the game yeah so that's personal for me because I was the type of player who would bust his butt to just to find a roster spot. Mm-hmm. So if you're talking about a starter who's who's taking advantage of the uh, of the of the system, and not, I'm not saying Waller was taking advantage yeah, of the yeah, system. Yeah. I'm just I don't know. No, he just he lost his desire to play or something um, because it it would take it would take uh, the 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 coaching staff threatening to sit that guy down before that some of these starters would start balling. And to right, me, that's right. not what this is about. So. I'm glad that sounds like that's getting fixed, Butch, to be honest with yeah, you. Yeah, they need, they need to go in that direction, man, because as, as you say, you can see that players, man. Yeah. You can, and he's, come on, the league always said that he was really a wide receiver, not a tight end, because he had all the moves of a wide receiver. Exactly. You know? And uh, here in, the, in, in Vegas, he was a big name in the community. Yeah. More than anybody else. That's the what hurts, too. Everything, you know, he did all that, man, so. Yeah, he, he did. He, he did his time here, man. He did good, man. But uh, again, we just talked about what you just mentioned. We just have to straighten those kind of things out. Just we say, got, hey, yeah, can't keep going now for you know. I just gave you two more dimes and you didn't do anything with it. <laughs> Team leadership, guys. It, it, it's that's what it boils down to. Team leaderships. Uh, you know the the you we were talking about uh, dynasties and we kind of talk about the um, the Patriots. And the reason why oh, yeah. that they they were as good as they were is they had some badass team leaders, man. Yeah. They would not tolerate anybody sl- slacking off. So yeah. once the once the team, not the coaches, once the team realizes that that it's on them uh, to to start uh, policing each other, yeah, things are going to be very exciting for that yeah. team. So you know, we go back to LA days when uh, Alzada was playing. I mean, Howie and everybody else brother. just, oh, my God. I mean, he would eat people alive. And then you got other younger players trying to get, you pump them up, man. You know, I mean, you got Cosby doing it. Then you got some yeah. people behind him. Well, maybe today I'll be good. Or, well, back in the day, I was able to eat your lunch on your own team, man. So <laughs> you didn't play. But you need people leadership like that, too, on that, that, that part of it, you know. I appreciate you, brother. I appreciate your time. Um, you know, in, in closing, guys, I want to tell you a fantastic story about this, this, this legendary gentleman I'm sitting next to. So just to show you how tough he is, you know, you know, every once in a while I'll get caught up in, in, in some of the things I got going on. You know, either, you know, I'm, uh, hey, Butch, uh, 
do you know anybody who's into the police officer uh, association? Uh, because I might have a buddy who who wants to uh, kind of maybe apply for you or maybe join your team or whatever. Butch would always text me right back. Hey, Butch, um, what are your advice on this and stuff? Should I try this or call this person instead? He'll always give me the right advice and stuff like that. So he's been like a father figure for me. Uh, I don't know if that, that you know, maybe uncle. Uncle's good. <laughs> uncle. <laughs> that look like hey man i did no I, because i'm old if i'm you know, old as your grandpa now but go ahead no 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 nah, okay that was my bad my great uncle like i said he's he would be everybody's favorite uncle and you guys could see why uh, and we got to get him back on the show but he just to show how tough he is and, and how he's always there for you i remember this one particular time i needed something and so i text him and um he responded right back and he's like well I'll tell you what, Kenny, I'll get right on that, but um, I'll have to wait till I get out of the hospital because I just had a triple bypass surgery and I'm here in the hospital trying to recover. Yeah. And I'm just like, what? I felt like the biggest jerk because uh, I didn't even know that. And I kept it on the low, low, that's why. Well, yeah. I didn't even know what to say. I yeah. felt so bad, but you, you were such a champ but, and you always have been there, not just for me, just for everybody around. He's, he's touched so many people. So, you know, I, I want to pay him back and I am going to pay him back. Um, I'm down here in Vegas trying to set up some big things, y'all. And um, all that's going to be filtered back to the people who've always been there for me. And um, uh, that's, that's very, very meaningful. So K-Shed, uncuffed. Uh, episode 15, uh, we're going to wrap this up. Butch, anything you want to say to our listeners before you go? Well, I'd like to say, I, you know, I've been blessed to be in the Davis family for 37 years. Uh, when we first came here in, t in 20, uh, you know, everything was closed down for two years. So everybody worked from home, even security. <laughs> and so wow. last year, uh, you know, Mark and uh, Larry Nelson, Delson would help me to say, hey, man, do you want to do some stuff? We got you. So do home games and stuff. But do you really want to keep working? And uh, I just made because no Mark has treated me like gold. Man. I mean, most sons in any business, when their daddy's gone, their uncle's gone, or grandpa's gone, they bring in their own people. I, this, hey, that's what life is that way. And because pays people cheaper, it's just how it works. You get younger people, and I get it. Mark kept me around for eight more years. Mrs. Davis kept me around for eight more years. So I've been blessed with the Davis family wow. and to continue to bless me today. And I just want to thank Mark Davis for what he's doing, Mrs. Davis, for all the things she let me do. And, you know, people don't believe, but even at the end of Al, in his last days, would tell him, but you take care of my family, man, take care of and Of course you're going to say yes, you know? Yeah. And uh, I said, you know, if you put it on paper, and most people in the position are not going to put nothing on paper. You don't feel like you're going anywhere, mm -hmm. how sick you are, you mm -hmm. know, you're coming out of it. So, you know, to this day, there's a lot of people, oh, I don't believe that. I don't believe he did that for you. You don't know how many bills Mr. Davis paid for me, mm. you know, because he knew that I wasn't getting the right, putting in killer hours, and I, he goes, I'm going to take care of you. And he would tell me, but you wouldn't need done. He would come <laughs> at me that way. It yeah. wasn't that I had to go ask him, can you give me a loan? Can you help? I didn't have to ever have to do that with him. He took care of me. You make sure you're doing, you're doing good. But uh, my family hated it because I was never with them. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted, you know, <laughs> I appreciate the time yeah. and bringing me on, and it's just been a, a blessing to me, even to this day, it's still a blessing. You know? And you look great, brother. You, you, you got you, a man. whole nother phase oh, coming up, God. man, so uh, get get rest up. It's off-season now, so that gives you a chance to kind of rest up, but once this thing gets going again, you're, you're going to be needed in so many different yeah, yeah. directions. So, 
Um, thank you for honoring me with your presence today. All right. K-Shed, y'all see, see it right here, man. The Raider Nation, uh, once a Raider, always a Raider, uh, just extends all over the place. And um, Mr. Butch is a, is a prime example of that. And um, all these other NFL teams, man, you guys are, in my opinion, behind the curve when it comes to uh, running an organization where you take care of your own and it's continually striving for greatness. Um, and that's what this team is trying exactly. to do. And uh, we'll be back with you guys real soon. K-Shed Uncuffed, out. <laughs> <laughs>